0: You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show, we have an absolutely loaded episode this week. So much going on in the world of college sports, both on the field, coaching carousel, college basketball just finished up feast week. So there's much to discuss. We have to start though in Ann Arbor. The game happened this past weekend, and finally, finally, Jim Harbaugh was able to get a win 42 27 over the Ohio State Buckeyes and now Michigan is in prime position to get into the college football playoff.
1: Dare dare I play devils advocate or anti Michigan fan and say this is this is prime for the single biggest letdown of the Harbaugh era. They I, Iowa flew too close to the sun earlier in the season. I'm going to stick with the reference as we've used it I don't know 15 times already this year.
0: People love Icarus.
1: They do they do much more than Daedalus they Iowa flew too close to the sun, they came down, finished the year strong, obviously, able to uh take care of business in the big Ten West. They are capable of beating this Michigan team. It would be very great to see from an outsider's perspective, obviously to see Michigan finally getting over the hump of beating Ohio State, something that Seemed like it wasn't going to happen anytime soon, especially with Jim Harbaugh at the helm. Now he does it. They're flying high. They've got their, their own destiny in their hands. This feels exactly like the moment that they just fall apart and let it let it die.
0: It would be objectively hilarious. They are going to be pretty clear favorites. Um, any of the teams that could have come out of the Big Ten West were pretty clearly flawed. Uh, Minnesota at one time before they blew it against Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. Wisconsin and Iowa. So. I mean, it's it's just the the Big Ten East seemingly will always be favored over the West in the championship game, much like the SEC West over the East this year. Pretty notable exception um, in the name of Georgia, but most years I feel like that holds true. Um, yeah, going back to this game though, you know, there was potential of some weakness on the defensive front of Ohio State and, and Michigan, being a little self-aware. Uh, Early score, going trying to go up two scores. Cade McNamara throws one of the worst interceptions you will ever see. They all right. We're just going to go back to running the football. Feed Haskins. Um, Let's let's do what we're good at. Um, And yeah, I mean, only a handful of passing attempts in the second half. Five touchdowns for Haskins. Nearly 300 yards rushing for Michigan. And even if they knew it was coming, Ohio State was just unable to stop it. Yeah, the Achilles
1: heel that we saw really hurt the Buckeyes in uh, the game against Oregon comes back to kill them here with uh, just horrible run defense or porous run defense, really. And, you know, credit to Michigan's defense as well. They played played well enough to slow down this high-powered Ohio State offense. Conditions certainly played a little bit of a factor, but at the same time, Ohio State knew what was coming defensively, like you said, couldn't stop it, and they could not. Lean on what they've leaned on all year long to to get the job
0: done. And Stroud was still able to throw for nearly 400 yards, so the Mm -hmm. the offense certainly had their opportunities. Some red zone struggles, as is tradition, Um, but this was kind of a game where Ohio State found out how the other half lives. Um, That was just this. The entire second half was Ohio State scoring. We need to stop here so we can get the ball back and have a chance to to tie the game or take the lead. Just unable to do that. Uh, just kept trading scores. Uh, like teams have found out, trying to stop Ohio State this year, but uh, Ohio State's defense letting them down again. Big win for Michigan. Uh, it was a great day to stay off Twitter um, because there was there's a lot of uh, back and forth, both Michigan fans gloating and Ohio State fans having inexplicable meltdowns for a 10-2 season, uh, which most of us would kill for uh, to have with any kind of consistency but if this is the low water mark i i think you're doing okay for the most part especially in that division of the big 10 yeah like what are what are we talking about here um just reeks of privilege and i i just i don't care for that one bit um but i i did i did think Harbaugh's post game commentary about ryan day um waking up on third base and thinking you had a triple was Pretty funny and if we're being honest, appropriate. Um, I, I think I think Ryan Day is a, a good football coach, but I think he also gets a lot more credit than he probably should thanks to a great situation he walked into. Like credits him for at least continuing it, but we can't, you know, really give him credit for building Ohio State back up or anything like that.
1: The cupboard was not there.
0: Yeah. So I mean good good job not screwing it up, I guess. Yeah. Um but many have. Yeah. It's not an easy situation,
1: I would I would argue. Um, you know, that you you basically have I mean it's it's the syndrome that someone's going to have when they step in at Alabama or Clemson following Dabo and and Saban, as we've talked about like many times, that is maybe the, the most unenviable job in the world because the expectations are just so high.
0: There's no, there's no way to live up to it. You, you hate to follow a legend, Um, and I think Urban Meyer wasn't at Ohio State long enough to really reach that legendary status. Sure, won a national championship, that certainly helps, but certainly not a a Saban-esque stretch. But yeah, it's it's not easy to keep a team consistently in the top five, but just comparatively so um, versus Mm -hmm. building it up. It is, you know. Not not exactly the same thing, um, but right, right. Congrats to Michigan. The job is not done. Um, they they still have to take care of business in Indianapolis against the Hawkeyes, which which should be a, a fun and once again low scoring game. But uh, yeah, good good job all around. Elsewhere, another streak was snapped. Oklahoma State's knocking off Oklahoma, ending the Sooners' Big Twelve title streak at six. Uh, As they will not even make it to the championship game. But 37 33, uh, most years, I feel like a a pretty typical score in this kind of game, a little higher scoring than we were probably expecting this year. But Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State scored enough on their end uh, to close this one out.
1: I was worried first half. I thought Oklahoma was getting seemingly whatever they wanted in the passing attack. And it, it did not look like this Oklahoma defense had showed up. Oklahoma State defense, excuse me had showed up to play like they had week in and week out. And then really it was special teams, the kick return changed the game, turned everything on its head. Oklahoma puts together a nice drive, gets a score, ties the game, and then immediately 100-yard kick return. And it seemed like the Sooners just could not bounce back from there. Um, Special teams played a huge, huge impact in this game. Obviously the muffed punt for a uh, touchdown in the late second half. And that was it from there. So... When the defense couldn't stand up, offense definitely was not great. Spencer Sanders struggled yet again. I feel like I've said that every single game this year. Um, but the run game was there, and and that's what they've leaned upon all season long. So, special teams and running, the football was what got it done for the Pokes. But really, uh, really would would have thought and and wanted more out of your defense. Can't can't be mad though. You're in the Big Twelve title.
0: I think the halftime adjustments were the biggest thing in this game, especially defensively. Like Jim Knowles. Uh, As named earlier today, one of the five finalists for the Broyles Award for Top Assistant in College Football. It's hard not to love what he's done with Oklahoma State's defense. What they're able to do, you know, Caleb Williams killing him in the first half, three touchdowns after halftime, six of 18 for 48 yards. Not much more you can ask the defense to do, uh, especially in a game like this that typically turns into a track meet. Um, in Oklahoma State, year after year, is just struggling to find ways to stop Oklahoma one time to get over the right. proverbial hump. Um they were able to do that and yeah, offensively, you know the the defense has risen, the offense might have fallen a bit, but still still good enough. Sanders able to show a little bit of that that dual threat ability. Um not the best passing game, but able to, as you said, pick up enough yards with his legs to remain a threat that way. And again, Oklahoma State now um is We'll see what the rankings are when they come out uh, later tonight as you're listening to this, but Oklahoma State's uh, right there in position to maybe hop into the playoff, too, um, with a great performance against Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Very much still alive.
1: Yeah, you've got to be worried if you're Cincinnati at this point. Um, Houston is a good team. I don't know that they get the credit or will get the credit that they need for that kind of win, just based upon Gary Bard has passed and and the committee, what they've done already this season. It does not seem likely that a win over uh, Houston will will be looked at even in the same stratosphere as a win over Baylor. So you got to be worried if you're Cincinnati.
0: Houston does have the longest winning streak in college football outside of Cincinnati and Georgia. Um, So there is that. Uh, Coach Dana's got the boys playing hard, but Mm -hmm. it would like. Cincinnati would have been helped so, 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 so much more if Auburn did not Auburn it up and yeah. find a way to to lose the Iron Bowl to Alabama for overtimes, uh, because the the new rules are just pretty whack. But a couple minutes left. Auburn getting a huge stop on fourth down really should have been the game, but uh as often seems to be the case in these high-leverage situations. Poor clock management allowing Alabama one final chance, and if you give Nick Saban team extra chances, they are going to make you pay, and that's that's what happened. Alabama took it to overtime and was able to hang on.
1: Yeah, I think even more so uh, than in the past, the overtime rules now really are a uh, a dream for the the better air quote better team on paper because of the fact that you just need to execute a play from two yards out. And that when you have playmakers like Alabama does, that is much easier to do than Auburn with a backup quarterback. And that is exactly what we saw in this situation.
0: I would actually argue the other way. I, I think it, it lends itself to more uh Illinois over Penn State, not not as unwatchable as that nine overtime affair was, but uh, I mean, just just kind of the the same thing we say about Virginia basketball in terms of sample size. Like you, you only have to execute on on one play uh, versus having to score from your opponent's twenty five yard line. So I think that does, and I, I think the intention as well, um, in addition to preventing injuries or whatever else they're going to say, um, is just trying to find that that competitive balance without ruining uh, the years for for any athletes potentially, but. It was uh, it was compelling television. Again, one of the uh, one of the last SEC on CBS games. We're still winding down that. It's just a, a friendly weekly reminder, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, it's one Auburn's going to be thinking about for a very long time.
1: Yeah, that was a tough one. You you could even see it as as they were leaving the field, just like the the disappointment. I guess is the best way to put it. Players, coaching staff, everybody um, really felt that loss
0: right away. Yeah. And uh, so Alabama still, still alive. That, uh, that really would have made things complicated um, in the playoff rankings this week. But we'll have to see what happens against Georgia um, and kind of go from there. A bit of a spoiler told you Iowa was in the Big Ten championship game. That is because Wisconsin. Could not take care of business against a depleted Minnesota team. Did not seem like anyone really wanted to win the West this year Uh, in in Wisconsin. Just a a win in your end game. The offense as it has multiple times this season did not show up. Only 233 yards of offense against Minnesota. Wisconsin falls 23-13 and uh, cost themselves a a chance at a big Ten title. Just uh, just it's it's hard to, to defend coming out and and looking as flat as they did in what was what they knew was a must win game after Iowa's win on Friday. Very
1: tough look, huge huge weekend for Minnesota. That was a big win. Gets them to eight wins on the season, but they also learned that Muhammad Ibrahim is coming back for next season, and that's an absolutely massive lift to this program because they, he, I mean. The way he started this year, it was only one half of football, but my goodness, did he look explosive and uh, really like one of the premier backs in the country. But Graham Mertz, back to doing Graham Mertz things that we saw at the beginning of the season, Uh, 38 times throwing the ball, an interception, really didn't get the run game going, just 22 carries for 62 yards. Defensively, they uh, they were okay, but it wasn't enough because the offense just could not do anything.
0: Just a, a weird, weird season for Minnesota because realistically, this should have been a ten-win team. The loss to Illinois, the loss to Bowling Green, make made no sense at the time. Make absolutely no sense now, um, even considering who they were playing without. Uh, so, it like, is. I want to give PJ Fleck credit for, you know, some of the good wins they've had this year, and even like as Competitive as they were able to play under difficult circumstances in the season opener against Ohio State, you know, had a good win over Purdue, had a, a good win in this one over Wisconsin, um, took right. care of business everywhere else. There's five point loss to Iowa, I'm not going to get upset about, but she, I mean, we could be looking at this season very, very differently and not be feeling quite as lukewarm, um, about the extension that Fleck just signed. Um, uh, it's mm-hmm. like I think out of out of the people that have signed massive extensions recently, he might come out of this uh season looking the best. There are some difficult circumstances. Uh certainly in East Lansing getting blown out by Ohio State, Happy Valley, Penn State kind of limped to the finish line once again. Um mm-hmm. but eight and four at Minnesota is always gonna play. You're in the big ten west. Um that's like that's all you gotta do. Um but yeah. You have to beat Illinois at least. Like, what are we doing here?
1: Yes, that is, uh, that is the rule, at least now. Um, maybe, maybe Bert will get the boys on track. Five wins, that's a hell of a year,
0: right? The window on that could be closing. So, yeah, I regret not taking advantage of that when he could have, but yeah, that was, uh, it's a big story from Saturday. Also, Cocho. Winning his final game as LSU head coach over AM 27-24. Game winning 28-yard touchdown with 20 seconds left from Johnson to Jenkins. We got one final go tigers and uh Coach O fades off in the sunsets. Um, kind of kind of interesting move. Uh the the way that whole thing played out in terms of the you're fired, but you know, just keep coaching the rest of the season, but um, not yet. Yeah, now now at least he gets to kind of go out on his terms. He's not going to be coaching the bowl game. He gets to go out on top of sorts uh, with a win over, uh, you know the the very very well paid Jimbo Fisher with one big result at Texas A and M. So he's got the natty. He's got he's got a win in this final game. I'm sure, Cocho is going to be just fine after all this.
1: Yeah, it's the way he deserved to go, honestly. Um, just such a weird tenure, I think, is the only way to describe it. From interim ed to on top of the world and then back down again. And then, you know, getting getting a win over another SEC West team, I think, is the the only way that he could close out the season. So, good for him. LSU has something to build on, maybe. They, they're losing so much, but they they've got... Uh, at least a win to look at.
0: Yeah. Uh, and lastly, um, the reason that Houston now has the second longest winning streak after Cincinnati and Georgia nationally is because UTSA lost their perfect season in spectacular fashion. They were stomped by the mean green of North Texas, 45 23. No impact on the playoff, of course, because this was uh, a roadrunner squad that was just kind of creeping around the the outside of the the top 20 top 25 all year uh based on their schedule but it's uh it's tough when you're this close and don't uh don't get to finish a 12 and out season they at least do have an opportunity to uh play for a conference title against always difficult Western Kentucky but this was uh this was not a good follow-up after a very emotional win last week over UAB.
1: Yeah, you know, North Texas really struggled to open the season. Um, as a degenerate myself, I know this because I have bet the mean green so many damn times. They have a phenomenal run game, though, and I think that is obviously what did them in. Uh, them being Nutsack, a.k.a. UTSA, 340 yards on the ground, six touchdowns allowed. Uh, gone are the days of Mason Fine. They are just running and running and running the ball in Denton, Texas. and. If you're UTSA, I, I, it's, it's a tough way to end the season, but there's just so much good here that you have to look at. And Western Kentucky, like you said, is not an easy game. I, I would actually probably take Western Kentucky. We'll see later this week potentially what I go with, but um, there, there's just tons to build on for a program that recently transitioned over to Division One. Like that, it's a hell of a year. Great story and uh, you've got so much positive to build on there.
0: And you're not losing your coach either, um, so that's, that's going to yeah. be something to build on um, on forward. A lot of people, a lot of schools around the country cannot say the same thing as we get to the coaching carousel segment of the show, which has just been as active as ever. Uh, the big bombshell this week, Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma Going to USC, uh, getting paid a reported 110 million in addition to a whole host of other financial stipulations, uh, including buying not one but both of his houses in Norman, Oklahoma. Because why not have two uh, for combined one million over market? Um, so USC just throwing the money at, at Lincoln Riley, and uh, it's it's easy at first glance to kind of shied riley for running scared away from the sec but uh i mean the the more you kind of look into a decision like this the more you can kind of see uh the logic behind what he's doing uh more than just we're going to pay you a stupid amount of money
1: the amount of mad online oklahoma fans is is astounding um Yeah. I mean, to me, this makes a ton of sense. I, you know, I probably wouldn't even think twice if USC came knocking and I was Oklahoma's head coach, regardless of, you know, how big a salary bump it was. I'd probably, you you know, you can't take the same amount because cost of living is obviously different as people love to point out and he's going to get, you know, that tax burden. (laughs) Watch out for uncle Sam. He's going to come knocking. Um, but yeah, like, USC is still USC. It's still one of the storied programs in all of college football. It moves the needle. If you win there, you are a kingmaker, basically. Um, the opportunity is so great. He can write his ticket to the NFL if he wants. He can get a job for life there. I mean, look at what Pete Carroll has done uh, or had done at USC and then now has done with the Seattle Seahawks. There, There's just bigger opportunity at USC, and that's hard to say coming from a place like Oklahoma. But I am 100% in agreement with the decision Lincoln Riley made. Not that he's looking for my approval, but it just makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma fans having similar meltdowns to Ohio State's, like, "Oh my god, how could our coach leave?" Like, welcome to how the rest of the the country is. Like, lives. it is it is not normal to have a coach, you know, there as long as Bob Stoops was. And, at the time of his retirement, was the longest tenured uh, coach in FBS. Now, of course, Kirk Ferentz, duck at Iowa, has has surpassed that. But mm-hmm. um, like a transition that swimming lane, kind of like we talked about with with Urban and Ryan Day at Ohio State, really no drop off. Uh, Lincoln Riley is keeping at the same level as we said. Six straight conference titles between Stoops and Riley in the Big Twelve. But I mean, like. Oklahoma now at this point to cry about like, well, you didn't get any notice. Didn't really give any when you uh, decided yeah. you were going to leave the Big 12 and go to the SEC. You know who is not a fan of that move? Lincoln Riley. Um, and he, he was pretty open about that. And this is a guy who was born in Lubbock, played at Texas Tech, spent his formative coaching years at Texas Tech. So there's there's definitely a small part of him that, uh, that feels a little bit of animosity towards Oklahoma for Kind of abandoning the conference. And look, at this point, the Big 12 looks like it'll be in great shape. Texas is a disaster. Oklahoma is reeling just from this. I I think Oklahoma will be fine, but they are certainly not handling this well. Everyone coming into the conference looks primed for success. We've talked about Houston and Cincinnati. BYU got another win over USC. They just dominated the Pac 12. So they're going to be a positive addition. The Big 12 is going to be okay. But the way things all went down, I don't think Riley was happy about, and you would much rather go out to LA where you are already drawing recruits from anyway. It'll be easier to keep them in LA, play at USC, and I mean, you just have to beat the likes of UCLA, Utah, Arizona State compared to some of the heavy hitters in the SEC. So, I mean, I. In terms of you know stress levels, quality of life, um, what you have to do in order to be successful and be a playoff team at USC, miles different than the SEC, and also getting paid a boatload of money. I think it it uh, it makes a lot of sense
1: for sure. And I didn't even get into the competitive aspect of it, but like you said, uh, USC is a pressure cooker in and of itself. Like there's no denying that. We've we've seen it with countless head coaches since Pete Carroll has left. But it's the easier place to win. Like the Pac-12 is not the most difficult conference in the world. There is something to be said about, oh, you know, you want to go and play the best. Like you want to beat the best. And certainly the SEC has been the cream of the crop for a long time in college football and looks to continue with that. I don't mind the move to the Pac-12. You're, you're doing this for yourself. You're not doing it for anyone else. And hey, if, if he wants to go rebuild a, a as you, uh, to use a word you use, used earlier, excuse me, a reeling USC program, why wouldn't you want to go do that? That in it itself is a huge challenge and a huge uh, thing to take on, let alone going to the SEC West. It's just two different types of uh, games for these guys. And Lincoln Riley clearly wants to rebuild.
0: Yeah, I mean LSU won the national championship two years ago. A coach is fired. You're you're not yeah. going to get any sort of leash in the the SEC, uh, where I feel like a guy like Riley could pretty consistently, you know, just reel off ten win seasons um, or better um, at USC. So mm-hmm. easy to kind of see the the logic there. Um, but a lo- lot of Oklahoma fans crying too about you know. Oklahoma isn't really a place you leave. Like this would never happen anywhere else. This is why we're so upset. Jimbo won a national championship at Florida State, got paid a, a boatload of money um, to go to A and M. So it's not without precedent in college football, certainly. Um, and also, mm-hmm. you know, Roy Williams going from Kansas to North Carolina. Although there's other connections there, but similar. Premier programme to premier program move. Um Oakland right. gonna hire a good coach. Um I think their fan base just needs to relax a little bit. But I know it's been a tough week after losing Bedlam and now this. Um, but you'll get over it probably. And Spencer
1: Rattler is gone too.
0: Yeah, but I mean that's that's something you like, there's a lot of hypocrisy from the fan base, but that's something you certainly can't complain about. Um, yeah, when, you know, you're chanting in the stands every week uh, for Caleb Williams, but mm-hmm. yeah, tough times out in Norman. Um, but there are two new houses available that uh, I would imagine are pretty nice. So yeah, you know, now's the time to to kind of get in on that. Elsewhere, uh, Billy Napier, we've kind of been throwing his name out there the last couple off-seasons, he has certainly been biding his time. Florida is a big enough job where when that is offered to you, you cannot pass it up. There is some back and forth about maybe LSU, but I think at the end of the day, LSU as a as an institution is a little too proud to offer the Sun Belt coach in their own states. Um, Florida swoops in. Billy Napier been incredibly successful. Um, at Louisiana. This is this is his opportunity. We've said Florida really, really is ground up and spat out the last couple of coaches who have tried there. But I mean, this is a guy who's who certainly earned an opportunity like this.
1: No doubt about it. Thirty-nine and twelve at Louisiana, twenty-seven and five. He's got two bowl game wins, first place every single year in the Sun Belt. And uh yeah, just Really, an up-and-comer, big name, big get for Florida. Or well, I guess it's a big get for Billy Napier to get the Florida job. He, like he said, he he waited. He knew what he was able to uh, draw in, and I think the stars really aligned for him this year to get this job. That said, I think he still would have left uh, for a bigger role this season. But they, they're getting someone good. Like he he's put together some really fun teams to watch some very competitive teams we've seen play uh countless tough games to start the season and now we get to see it at the SEC level
0: yeah um and I mean we we are we're looking for consistent challenger just in the east now um, it's Thank been you. it's been Georgia for for a couple of years now and and kind of who's challenging them has has alternated year to year. Florida certainly had a great year last year. Kentucky at times this year was looking like that team, but it's certainly there's certainly an opening. And uh, you know, if anyone in the East can can get back to that level, you would think Florida, um, maybe Josh Heupel at uh, at Tennessee. The balls are are buzzing a little bit, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, a a program as prestigious as Florida with as much tradition as I have there in the SEC, you would think that um this is a program primed to get back to that level, but the trouble is, as we've seen, is getting to that level but maintaining it. Um, like it would not surprise me within the first couple of years if Napier is able to rattle off, you know, maybe a 10-win season. But the key is just what happens the next year. Um, being yep. able to put together two high-level seasons back to back is something that, for whatever reason, has eluded uh, Florida across the last three coaches. Um, so. That That's really the biggest challenge is not so much becoming a a top fifteen team, but becoming a top fifteen team top ten team and staying that way for multiple seasons. It can be done, but it hasn't hasn't happened in a minute,
1: yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, just any sort of continuity on on the success they have they they're sick of the flash in the pan.
0: We've got a uh, couple more power five. Hires uh, my guy Kalen DeBoer. I, I had said Washington State when that job came open, but better job came open in Washington, and he was snatched up there, replacing Jimmy Lake. Um, obviously, I'm incredibly biased, but it is it is hard not to love a guy who has been incredibly successful everywhere he has gone. Um, overall record of 79 and nine as a head coach. Incredible, uh, just the uh, c- comparing and contrasting him sandwiched in between Mike DeBoard and Nick Sheridan at Indiana, um, and just what a competent offense can look like and what your run of the mill offensive coordinators look like. Um, and Fresno State this year, um, finishing the season nine and three, six and two in, in the Mountain West, competing each and every week, um, getting a couple good ranked wins in there as well. I uh, I'm I'm certainly optimistic about the hire here. Um, going complete opposite direction from Jimmy Lake, more offensive focused, and I uh, think it'll it'll certainly be more enjoyable football to watch.
1: Yeah, really excited to see what Washington's offense will look like. Obviously, Deboer has a like you said a great track record on that side of the ball. Talent level, too. I mean, it, it helps that he's been in California for a couple years now, but the talent level is is really what I'm interested in seeing. Washington uh, has struggled since Peterson left. It uh, feels like forever ago, but it really has only been a few years. Um, and they just have struggled to get that talent level up to par with teams like USC, UCLA in the Pac-12. So can they recruit at that level and then Just continue to see Kalen DeBoer do Kalen DeBoer things on offense.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's he's got ties in the area already, you know, well established. Uh, He's an offensive coordinator um, starting back in 2017, which is why it made sense for him to come back to the area as a head coach. Um, You know, picked up pretty much right where he left off at Fresno and now get the opportunity at Washington. Um, It's the the North is certainly in a, a little bit of. Turnover. Um, you know, Oregon's still going to be the targeted team. Stanford doesn't look like much of anything right now, which I mean, it's not like Washington did this season either. But um, certainly, different scenario coming in now than than maybe five years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But across the way in the Apple Cup, uh, Jake Dickert is now the uh, the permanent head coach, or at least for now, um, removing the interim tag. Scott vaccinated got the head coaching job after uh, Rolovic <laughs> was dismissed went three and two you beat your rival forty to thirteen in the apple cup pretty good way to secure the uh the full time position which he now has um not not a lot of uh f b s experience if we're for being honest most of it spent at uh the f c s level and lower prior to twenty seventeen but uh was able to get his feet wet a little bit. Um, last year's defensive coordinator and of course successful as interim coach this year. Didn't really miss a beat after Rolovic and four assistants were dismissed. So I mean, administration trying to uh keep this transition as seamless as possible and and hopefully build on a strong end to the 2021 season.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think just some sort of continuity. It's been so rocky up in Pullman the last couple seasons. Uh Rolovic came in obviously with a bang and left with a bang. Um and now they just want to kind of simmer things down and really just get back to winning football games. And that's three and two, not a bad record as an interim coach taking over for a team that you really had no not a ton of uh doing in, in shaping. So Good for good for him. This is you know something that I think a lot of interim coaches would like to see happen more because the tag rarely ever gets taken off. But continuity is key, and I think at, at schools like this, that is definitely worth a gamble if you're Washington State.
0: I think also Washington State just with the state of the coaching carousel this year, kind of had to know mm-hmm. in the back of your mind, you're not really going to get a shot at. Some of the really guys guy. that yeah, yeah that, that you might in a normal cycle. So let's let's secure what we've got on staff already. Um, so self-awareness is key sometimes. So it's good to see that. Yeah. Uh, all right, so conference championship week is here. Not gonna go through every single one. Sorry to disappoint, but we've got the power five plus the American, since that features a couple of ranked teams and has some major playoff implications. We will start with. I I would argue this one is the most surprising matchup uh, from a preseason perspective. We've got Pitt. We've got Wake Forest uh, battling it out for the ACC title. Um, I mean, if you told me you had this in preseason, you're lying. But who who do you have here? Two two high level quarterbacks uh, who are having outstanding seasons.
1: I would love to see a gambling ticket of either of these teams getting to the ACC title game. Um, But you're right. Certainly surprising. I think it'll be a fun game still. Um, I'm still on fade pit season. I like Wake Forest a lot. Sam Hartman's having an awesome year. Defense is doing just enough to get by. The run game looks really good. And in a game that turns into a shootout, which I think this one will, Wake Forest Has been there time and time again this season, and they've gotten the job done more often than not. So I'm going to take the Demon Deacons to win the ACC in men's tackle football.
0: It's the only one we've got. Um, Just just to make
1: sure everyone is understanding what we are talking about here Wake Forest and Pittsburgh will play for the ACC title in football.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, not not the best uh, closing stretch this season for. For Wake Forest, out of the last you know month or so, um, yep. but in fairness, they had a great start to the season before that. Mm. Um, I am uh, th- this is the one that was the toughest for me to call. Um, as I stall for more time, um, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go with Wake Forest as well. Um, love Pitt, hard to quit Pitt. Uh, Kenny Pickett's my guy, but I. I can't can't trust Pat Nardizzi in a game of this magnitude. I would like to, but I cannot. Um, Give me Sam Hartman. Give me Wake Forest. um, Taking on the ACC title. The American will be played at Cincinnati, which certainly helps the Bearcats. Houston is the challenger, as we mentioned. Cincinnati Over the back half of the season, I feel like it has certainly drawn some criticism for, at times, playing down to the level of their competition once they get a lead of a couple scores. Mm -hmm. Houston, a different animal, certainly, but how do you see this one playing out?
1: I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think that's good for Cincinnati. They need to win and win in style against Houston. Um, Cougars have obviously looked very good in the second half of the season. Um honestly really since that Texas Tech game. But uh putting up points, putting up points in bunches, which is exactly what you'd expect a Dana Holgerson team to do. They're going up against a damn good defense though in Cincinnati. I like Desmond Ritter. I like this run game. I'd like the defense more importantly. I think they win it. I think they win it in a tight game though.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think Cincinnati did have the one should be impressive win but they're not going to get as much credit as they should uh when blown out SMU 48-14 a couple weeks ago Follow that up by covering against East Carolina so that, that quiets the critics a little bit or at least should um for thinking logically which I know is a stretch at times but yep I I think I think Houston is going to come out um firing in this one it, it's it, it is a little bit of a, a unique wrinkle that this is being played on campus, so advantage Houston or advantage Cincinnati there, um, even though they they are the better team anyway. But um, I, I think Cincinnati wins this one by seven, and if and when they do, you have to put them in the playoff. You Agreed. can't we're not we're not yep. we're not doing this song and dance again. I Cannot. agree. Um, so, knowing my luck, they'll lose, and this will be a moot point. Anyway,
1: better than them winning and. In- Coming in or being the
0: fifteen that is how I would rationalize it to myself, yes, yep, yep, uh, we've got we go to Dallas, Baylor, thanks to Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma, is into the big twelve title game, Dave Aranda's name coming up a little bit um in terms of coaching searches, maybe back to l s u who knows l s u targeting Brian Kelly too, apparently, so who knows what the heck's gonna happen there, but Catching first a go- wide net, yeah. First got to focus on this game. Um two defensive-minded teams that uh obviously have already played earlier this season. How do you see the rematch playing out?
1: Low scoring I think is uh is an easy way to start. I I do like what Baylor's offense has been able to do um for most of this season. They the run game specifically has looked very solid. Um but I'm going to take Oklahoma State. I like, I don't know, I, I've just been on the pokes all year long. Spencer Sanders has given me no confidence in the passing game. I think it's very similar to the game they played earlier this year, but I'm going to say it's closer to a 24-21 game than a 24-14 game. Um, if Sanders plays the same way he did early in the season, I think Baylor wins, and I think they win by double digits.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma State's really the only team that has clearly outplayed uh Baylor this season. The the TCU game uh as more time passes makes less and less sense. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I think that'll be the way this one plays out again. Oklahoma State has a, a playoff berth essentially at this point uh to play for. Um so they are they're going to get that that elusive um well I don't want to jinx anything, but I want to say they are going to get that elusive uh Playoff berth for for Mike Gundy, have a shot at a a championship, but at the very least, I think uh, getting getting a conference championship will be good enough. Um they haven't been able to do that since twenty eleven um, mm-hmm. when they were robbed of a spot in the BCS national championship game. But that is a conversation for another day. But we we're, forget. we're going Oklahoma State here. Yep. Uh, And and very different teams. Could not be less similar 2011 to 2021 version. Right. (laughs) Indianapolis, where the Iowa faithful will drink Kilroy's and every other bar dry. We remember uh, the fateful weekend of Cadillac Ranch running out of beer. Rest in peace, Cadillac Ranch. Um, But Michigan riding the high of last week's huge victory. You're expecting a little bit of an emotional letdown. Will they let down enough to actually lose this game?
1: Yes, they will. They are going to lose this game. It'll be in excruciating fashion. The Iowa offense is not pretty. Um, I think Michigan's offense is going to revert back to that sort of style. Iowa's defense has been up and down this year. I think they show up this weekend and and they make plays here. Uh, Hassan Haskins is going to have to be huge for Michigan to win this game. Good sin on the other side of the ball for Iowa will have to have a big game as well I think he does I think they win it like thirteen to ten I think it's gonna be very low scoring it's gonna be ugly at points but it is exactly what Big Ten football is and Iowa uh will beat Michigan I
0: was gonna say speaking of good offense uh our our friend Fran McCaffrey's Hawkeyes just dropped 44 in the the first half against Virginia I don't think this total touches that um yes I I, I think Michigan will hold on to wins. It, it's just, it's so hard to uh, trust Iowa's offense. Like, they had to be gifted so much uh, by Nebraska even to win that game. Um, mm-hmm. The the turnaround from 21 6 to the final of 28 21 was pretty rapid. Um, and, you know, they, they haven't really looked to be in complete control. Of a game in a while. They were touch and go with Illinois, touch and go with Minnesota, not as much shame in that. Touch and go with Northwestern, who is another horrendous offensive team. Back to back blowout losses, uh, Purdue and Wisconsin. Then we're back at Penn State week where the season was truly broken. Um, I, I, I just can't see Iowa being able to move the ball enough uh, against Michigan. They have been so turnover dependent and it took. That happening at the last second to knock off uh, a three and nine Nebraska team, um, so I just I don't I don't see enough going their way. Uh, so I'm unfortunately going to have to take Michigan here.
1: That's a real shame, that, and that is a shame also because it's the first one we've disagreed on.
0: Yeah, well, that's probably for the best.
1: It, it had to happen.
0: All right, uh, another rematch. We've got. In the Pac-12, we're in Vegas. The the Raiders' brand-spanking new stadium. We've got Oregon, Utah. You may recall this just happened two weeks ago. Utah won by 31. Obviously, this should be closer, but what, uh, what do you anticipate happening here?
1: I picked preseason Oregon to win the Pac-12. Against better judgment, I'm going to stick with that pick. It is very hard to beat a team twice in college football. It is even more difficult to beat them twice in a three-week span. Utah certainly can do it. I am going to bet with the odds here and take Oregon. Um, They're going – I mean, they they know what happened in this game that beat them. They're going to make adjustments. Utah's going to have to throw something new at them. I don't know that they've got it in their arsenal here. And uh, I, I just trust that the Ducks' offense and, more importantly, the defense will be able to step up and rise to the occasion. Anthony Brown needs to have a good game here, and Travis Dye needs to keep the run game going for for the Ducks. But I think they get the win.
0: It will be more competitive, but I, I think Utah wins this one again. Um, I mean the the Utes really should have run the table in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit of unfortunate loss. Um, to Oregon State that ultimately took that away from them, but uh, I, I don't know. I I, I think Utah's just been too red hot. Um, it, it'll probably be a seven to ten point game in the rematch. Um, I, I think Utah's got the ass whipping out of their system, and Oregon's going to show up better prepared this time. But i I'm, I'm sticking with the Utes.
1: I wanted to, but I just couldn't do it.
0: Fair. fair. Uh, Finally, we've got the SEC championship in Atlanta, Georgia, who has been far and away the best team in the country all season long against Alabama, who just barely uh, scraped by Auburn in four overtimes. How do you see this one playing out? There's
1: not a ton that I need to say about this one. I will say Alabama will play better than they did against Auburn. If they don't, this game's going to be over by halftime. But I'm taking Georgia. They have been the best team in the country. They have given me no reason to think otherwise. They have beaten teams as good as Alabama this season, and they will win in this game.
0: Like Georgia, too. Here, Here's a fun fact, though, about... Uh... The SEC this year, and it brings me no pleasure to say this because this is just the conferences are a monolith. Uh, people come to life on Twitter, but they have 13 bowl eligible teams this year. The only yes, one that do. is not is Vanderbilt. Uh, so credit to uh, you know almost half of the SEC East going six and six, plus Auburn and LSU. But you did it, you guys. You guys figured it out. Stacked enough uh, wins and losses where they needed to be. And uh, we can all point and laugh at Vanderbilt together, but uh, I, I'm going Georgia here. I I think Georgia could win this game very comfortably, and it still probably will not be enough to knock Alabama out of the playoff. I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine a scenario in which that would be possible, um, but I I don't think a Nick Saban team can be. As thoroughly embarrassed as they would have to be to force the committee to to boot them out of the field, um, so really really struggling with that notion. I think Georgia wins this. I don't think it's going to come down to the last play or anything like that, but I don't think it will be embarrassing enough for the state of Alabama to really mean anything in the playoff picture.
1: I mean it would really take like a 40 point win for Georgia here and then 60 point wins for Oklahoma State, Michigan and Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, so can't uh can't really hold my breath on that front, but that uh yeah, that's that's really really all it would take. Um it's not asking much. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's something well within the realm of possibility. Wow. Okay, breaking news on the show. Uh Uh, LSU is expected to hire Kelly uh, with an announcement to come as early as tomorrow. Um, So that is wow. That that is something.
1: Wow. I joked about this. I I am. Shook it. Uh, I. Hmm, I don't have words. This is this is bad time to to drop a bomb because I can't even I can't even think of anything. But I joked about this with my dad on Saturday when I when the Lincoln Riley news or Sunday when the Lincoln Riley news came out, and I said, man. Wouldn't it be great if LSU just meandered their way up to South Bend and took a coach with the last name Kelly? And here it is. So uh Hmm. I I need to hear your thoughts because I, I can't formulate words at this point. Uh
0: yeah, I mean he uh he got tired of beating LSU, so he's has gone down there to coach him now. Um but yeah, this obviously major, the winningest coach in Notre Dame history, which has a fairly storied football past, as you may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm having trouble thinking of a like worse culture fit. Um yeah. that's that's kind of my biggest and one of one of my favorite tweets from a couple hours ago when this first came out, like Brian Kelly looks like he thinks Sprite is too spicy. How is he a yes. culture fit at LSU? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you yeah, go that, from Bojo, uh, who is like
1: the epitome of occasion Louisiana. Exactly. Is it Louisiana? Louisiana native. And uh, you go to Brian Kelly. Like how different could it be?
0: Yeah. It uh Yeah, that's that's tough. Uh I mean, if you're Notre Dame, back up the Brinks truck for Matt Campbell. Um mm-hmm. but that's uh that's certainly a position that Notre Dame, like Oklahoma, does not expect to be in, but I think you will notice significantly less melting down online uh, from Notre Dame fans, because at least there is a sense of humor and jokes are already coming in on Twitter fast and furious from what I can see. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, Brian Kelly, a very successful football coach, uh, certainly not the most likable guy, um, has some major off-the-field red flags, and uh, it's not... Not always the the nicest person when when coaches check him with when when cameras catch him which you know people have not been uh i don't know the the nicest about but yeah i'm i don't know like it's it's one of those things very good football coach this is just a a weird fit like the yeah this this is Although this has worked out pretty well, this is Mick Cronin to UCLA.
1: I was gonna even say Mike Anderson to St. John's, but I agree with your opinion more than what I was thinking.
0: It's yeah, that's that's wild. It's like who who is the biggest name coach we can get? Ignore ignore anything else. Um, but wow, okay, uh, so.
1: People are gonna have wow. fun
0: listening to this part. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, I now I'm just waiting because I uh, I want Lane Kiffin to get involved now somehow. Just in, oh, in the coaching kid. carousel, like he he's inserted himself in the narrative. I, I saw his tweet about uh, Louisiana license plate, um, but yeah, like uh, Oklahoma now. It, like moves are being made on the carousel, but even bigger. Places are are becoming open now. Like Oklahoma, do they go Mark Stoops? Can't really get like you would think the connection is there with Hypo, but there's bad blood there, so we probably wouldn't be going back. Um, and then now Notre Dame, they uh, throw a hail mary for Urban or or Matt Campbell or or anyone else. Um, this is we're just getting started. We're we're just getting started on the coaching carousel. So.
1: This is insane, but this is exactly what Papa John's warned us about. He said the day of reckoning is coming, and little did we know he meant literally the entire world of college football would fall apart in 24 hours.
0: I think he might have been referring to something else, but uh, (laughs) well, we'll have to to wait and see on that. Yeah. Uh, All right, Uh, so just going to put a a full stop on college football talk for. the moment. Um, <sighs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Everyone
1: needs a deep <laughs> breath here.
0: So feast week happened in in college <laughs> basketball. I'm just gonna power through here. Uh, there were some surprises. Nothing. Uh, nothing is surprising as, as things we have broken live on this podcast. But uh, we had quite a few. MTs, as they're called, with surprise winners, um, and and certainly our fair share of disappointing performances, but we like to stay positive when we can. Um, who Who's your big winner from last week?
1: I'm going to change it up. I'm going to go with Iowa State. This is a team that we literally wrote off <laughs> in the preseason saying that they, you know, TJ Otzelberger, nice hire. Like he's he's got some time, he's got some connections uh, to Iowa State. It's gonna take a while to build something. Then they go out and they rattle off wins over Xavier and Memphis, and now all of a sudden are six and zero and in the top twenty in the AP poll. Um, really good defensively. They actually can score the ball pretty darn well too. Like this this team looks significantly better than anything I think either of us had anticipated. Uh, Defensively is obviously their calling card, their their top 50 in defense. Um, But yeah, like these two wins, certainly surprising. Maybe says more about Memphis than it does about Iowa State, but at the same time, you get a top 10 win, it moves the needle, especially when you're picked dead last in your conference.
0: I think it says a lot about Memphis, and I think it's a lot of the the pretty fair criticism that that people have had um, the the Penny Hardaway era, but mm-hmm. yeah, like you're you're getting basically the the two guys preseason. are saying you'd have to get production from Isaiah Brockington, Gabe Kalscheur. They are so far um, certainly combined over thirty points a game, and yeah, if you're if you're not going to be the most talented team on the court every night, and most nights they are not, certainly once they get into the thick of conference play. You better defend like hell, and they have been so far. Um, Yeah, the the win over Xavier, especially Quality um, Xavier, has proven they can knock off quality teams this year. Um, Memphis, there there are real concerns there. Um, Just all all the talents in the world, but it's been a struggle um, during Penny's tenure outside of that magical NIT run um, to get all of these high ranking guys to play together as a team and not devolve into kind of just one on one offensive sets. Um so you're, you're going against a team with any sort of defensive chops that is going to be taken advantage of pretty easily. Um so already tripling last year's win total um, in the month of November is uh is pretty ridiculous, but that's that's where Iowa State is right now.
1: Yeah. Great st- great start to the Oppelberger era.
0: Yeah. Um how about Dayton? How about Dayton? Dayton? Dayton also not dead. Uh, certainly seemed like they would be. Three losses in bye games to start the year. Uh, really all the chatter that I think we heard coming into this MTE, MTE is uh, this could be very rough. It would not be surprising in the slightest if Dayton managed to go 0-3. So what did they do? Beat Miami by 16. Beat Kansas. Beat a good Belmont team to win the whole thing. Um, good for Anthony Grant because the uh, the seat was was starting to get pretty toasty. Um, but it's, uh, it's certainly good for the a if Dayton can shake off the early season struggles and if this is more the team that they're going to be this year um, to actually, I think, help give the conference a lot more prestige than it looked like they were going to earlier.
1: Yeah, huge, huge win! Unbelievable finish in that Kansas game. The 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 shot falling, I think, on the yeah. buzzer beater, like the weirdest runner across across the lane you'll ever see. Just the softest kiss off the glass, um, truly incredible. Um, and then obviously to come out and beat Belmont, who took care of Iona, because that's exactly what ESPN wanted at at this event: is Dayton to beat Kansas and Iona to beat Alabama and and have uh, those. Teams in the uh, three of as three of the four semifinalists, but here we are. Um, Huge credit to Dayton, put put it together. And again, I think this shows more than anything else why college basketball is so much fun. It's because all you need to do—not all you need to do—but if you put put your best game together for a weekend, you can beat just about anybody. There are not teams out there and. For a time, I think I would have put Gonzaga in that bracket, but now after the Duke game, I think it has to be slightly altered this this point. But there aren't teams out there that are going to win no matter what, no matter what kind of game they play. And if you come with your best stuff, you've got a chance every single night.
0: Yeah, there, there's certainly no Gonzaga Baylor last year early going. We certainly have undefeated teams, but no one has looked so untouchable that. Them having an off night and losing is outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, we, we can give Duke a little credit uh, if we want. Yeah, they uh, certainly the the big win of the week, arguably the year. Um, Paulo Ben Caro, uh, just ridiculous Coburn esque pronunciation, but he uh, he's he's pretty darn good at the basketball. But uh, so is Mark Williams, and I think. That's yeah. that's someone who who certainly had their their fingerprints all over the game against the Zags.
1: Wendell Moore's evolution has been huge for Duke. Obviously, um, they they need more from their their complementary pieces as well, and I think that'll start coming. But Mark Williams had an unbelievable game. Van obviously did a ton in the first half, and then them went out with the cramping and and didn't do as much in the second half. But they got enough production to really get through this game. It was so much fun. Like that was probably the best game we will see all season long. Um, hopefully it's not, I I hope we see some tournament games that are better than that, but that was unbelievable atmosphere. So good to have fans back. Like I I feel so corny saying that. And I feel like the announcers feel so corny saying that, but watching that game at, you know, 1230 or whatever it was here because the tip off times were ridiculous because it's Vegas. You're just so amped watching that game and and so excited because the crowd is so into it and every single possession is just wild, but Gonzaga did not play their best and they got beat and that is exactly what should happen in college basketball. Um, Would have preferred if uh, it wasn't such a foul fest and the officials kind of let him play a little bit more, but didn't really end up affecting the game too much, I don't think.
0: I, I agree with you. It's inconvenient to watch West Coast games that late, but I will not join all of the articles that have been written. Uh for some reason, like, oh my god, this is so unfair for East Coast people. They're not playing oh, the games. On, not. They're not yeah. playing the games on the East Coast. Uh, I kept saying I feel like it was Sports Illustrated or somebody kept writing that article. like
1: even this, Kevin this Willard is,
0: complained about it. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: it's his like post-game press conference. He's like why are they starting the game so late? Like, I don't know. Gonzaga's it's like, a West Coast team it's, and it's in Vegas. It's
0: time so zones. Um, yeah. yeah, but I yeah, I the West Coast has to deal with that 95% of the time with uh with the East Coast bias. That's I mean, Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country. UCLA this year as well, they're they're mm-hmm. gonna play late games. Some right. will have Bill Walton, not all of them will. So we'll just have to deal with that. Um, but yeah, and and I think just a, a good reminder, even though they have been very impressive through the early going, this is not last year's Gonzaga team. You don't have Jalen Suggs. You don't have Joel Aie. You added some good pieces, certainly, in Chet and Bolton. Um, but it's going to take some time. Uh, strother has been great in the early yeah. going. Hunter Salas is going to be a good piece eventually. Still kind of building up to that point, uh, but certainly not the seemingly untouchable team that we saw for for most of last season. Just very, very good.
1: Nemhard struggles too in the second half really uh, hurt Gonzaga there because there were so many opportunities seemingly to take the lead or get back in the game really and just didn't quite happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, Last year's national champion, Baylor, Mm -hmm. comfortably winning the the Atlantis title. Um, Just Flying, again, I think a little bit under the radar nationally because most of the focus right now is on Duke, is on Purdue. um, Two teams that have been impressive in the early going, but Baylor's undefeated. They're getting some great play out of of guys like James Akinjo, and uh, they look every bit the part of uh, a contender.
1: Yeah, definitely a, a statement week of hey, don't forget about us. Like we are the defending national champs. We have good pieces still. Don't forget that that Baylor is still here. Um, fun, fun week for them. Definitely an impressive performance, especially in that championship game against Michigan State, who had been playing pretty well. Um, now they they get Villanova in a couple a couple weeks, so that'll be a fun one to watch.
0: Yeah, Oregon as well, which uh, certainly has lost a little bit of luster, and I have things to say about the Ducks later, but yes. um, it it wasn't the toughest draw considering played Arizona State game one who ended up getting last. Uh, shout out Loyola for putting a hurting on the Sun Devils, but uh, as you said, very impressive in the, the championship game to really remove any doubts of who the best team in the field was, um, and mm-hmm. with, you know, Kansas having some struggles elsewhere. Well, maybe this is a, a team that could win the Big Twelve again. Certainly talented enough to do so.
1: No doubt about it.
0: What other winners do you have for me?
1: I'm going to give Florida a shout out. Cal is not a great win, but Ohio State is, and they looked pretty comprehensive doing it. I like the Gators' offense a lot, as you saw on our Twitter. I have them in my top ten. I think they're that good of a team right now. Um, They play great defense, per usual. Uh, I think we are used to that in the Mike White era. But now, really getting the offense humming like they are, twenty third in Ken Palm offensive efficiency. That is a dangerous combo, and they are a team and a threat in the SEC right now.
0: Yeah, and they they continue to play um, you know faster and faster relative to where they have been in the past. They're in the top half nationally of tempo, which is unheard of for Mike White um, so mm-hmm. continuing to to push the ball when appropriate they're not playing the breakneck pace or anything like that, but within themselves but attacking when necessary and that's how you see a lot more success offensively when you're able to attack mismatches and, and get out and run when appropriate but yeah this is uh this is the team that that looks primed to. Make a, a whole heck of a lot of noise in the SEC, which looks to be a very strong conference once again. You've got LSU undefeated, Auburn, couple of very nice showings um, in Atlantis, Tennessee hanging around as well, and, and Arkansas. So, lot of uh, lot of talent there. Alabama losing to Iona, but overall they're still going to be fine and, and right there too. Also, Kentucky is a basketball team that plays in the SEC, so. A lot of high-level talent um, in Florida seems to be inserting themselves into that group, um, so it should be another very, very fun season in the premier basketball conference in the South, not the ACC. It is the SEC. That is correct.
1: Do not let anyone tell you otherwise.
0: Uh, No, I've got one more. Another begrudging one, but Wisconsin did technically win the Maui Invitational played in Las Vegas it was at times unwatchable uh just pretty very bad vibes from the entire field if if we're being honest for a second uh the only team that had I think any opportunity to be fun and by that I mean you know play a little up and down score some points was Notre Dame so of course they went one and two uh and lost to am but uh it was uh it was rough between the the final four, Houston, Oregon, St. Mary's, and Wisconsin. Not a lot of pace, a million fouls in the championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh heavy emphasis on offensive fouls as well. Uh no, no game flow at all. But Wisconsin did bounce back from an early season loss to Providence to seemingly Righted the ship um, by getting the championship here. Um, And I mean, Johnny Davis looks like he is butting into a star for Greg Gard and the Badgers in a season where they definitely needed someone to fill that role.
1: Yeah, Johnny Davis was phenomenal in this tournament. Um, Really, a big credit to Wisconsin. Game one, they were down double digits in the first half, really just getting blown out. and found a way to come back against Texas A&M. Granted, A&M isn't that great of a team. Um, but found a way to to come back there and, and pull away and get an easy win. And then they really put a hurting on Houston. Uh, almost in the same vein of what A&M did to them to open the game. And uh, when it gets ugly like that, that is where Wisconsin thrives. And that is exactly what they did. Brad Davidson doing Brad Davidson things. Uh, more tall white men that can shoot the ball, per Wisconsin's credence, and uh, they they just look like that annoying team that we see year in and year out from Greg Gard. Seventh defensively right now in the country on Ken Palm. Um, that is pretty pretty good, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's something to feel good about going forward. Um and I mean certainly the the Big Ten could use more positive headlines. So Wisconsin is responsible for most of those right now. Michigan State also a good run, um, playing great defense out in Atlantis, but I mean, they just are not Baylor, so that's that's tough to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh any other most impressive or we start piling on some teams.
1: That's all I had.
0: Okay. Um Mentioned Oregon already, so I'll just start there. Uh, the beatdown at the hands of BYU might be par for the course. Unfortunately, uh, forty-nine point performance in that game, um, beat up by St. Mary's and Houston and Vegas, um, not even touching a hundred combined points between both of those games. Uh, it is seemingly going to be a struggle for. Oregon to score points this year, which is not somewhere you want to be when you are trying to win basketball games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, sorry. Just had to come out and say it. I mean, it, it's it's really a three game losing streak they're on right now. They happen to play Chaminade. I, I don't really count that as a win to really break it. Um, but the last three games they've played against, I mean, not even. Power five team, power six teams, but just division one teams, they have looked completely overmatched, uh, especially on offense. And that is uh, something that is going to have Dana Altman's work cut out for him.
1: Yeah, they uh, will give, I'll I'll change my metric usage and we'll go to our our friend EvanMaya.com. 55th offensively, 84th defensively. Normally, defense is the calling card for a Dana Altman team. We are not seeing that right now. Offense obviously really struggling to produce here, Um, and and sure they ran into a couple decent teams, but my goodness, they are just getting waxed night in and night out. It's it's not even competitive, and that is the problem here. Uh, Early season losses you can get over. How many of those? I think Oklahoma or excuse me, Oregon is going to test that limit for the tournament committee because all said and done. This should be a tournament team. This should be. They don't seem anywhere near one right now. Like not even close. They so, yeah, yeah. They they need to figure something out. Uh, 49, 50, and forty nine points, as was mentioned before. You unless you are Virginia, you are not winning games playing that way.
0: No, and I mean, Virginia is certainly not winning games this year. They are. Well, they made it a little closer. I was up fifty-eight, uh, fifty-two in the opening Uh-oh. game of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You got about ten minutes to go there, um, but already it's looking like way more points than Tony Bennett is comfortable giving up. Um, yeah, it's Oregon. I, I thought pretty clearly in the preseason was a tournament team, um, but eventually you got to start showing something. Like you, you yeah. can have you can have losses in the non-conference, as you said, but. You have to show up, um, or or like show show me some signs of progress. uh, Any
1: poll would work right now for Oregon.
0: Yeah, which I mean, I I guess they lost to Houston by only by three fewer points than they lost to BYU. If we want to call that progress, I wouldn't. But uh, something to something to keep an eye on: seventy eight forty nine versus eighty one forty nine. That's something, but it's uh, it's going to. Be a significant need for a strong season in the Pac-12, and mm-hmm. you have an opportunity against Baylor. I can't confess to having anything resembling confidence right now, but it's there if you want to take advantage, and it's going to be at home. So yeah. maybe do, maybe do something with that.
1: Yeah, they they need something. I don't know what it is, but they need something at this point.
0: A win. Or, yeah, or, well, separate, yeah. <laughs> or several
1: 60 points, 60 points I would say. Um I'm just going to piggyback off of that. I had the entire Pac-12. It was not a good week for the Pac-12. Uh here I'll I'll rattle off some of the losses here. Uh Eastern Washington beats Washington State, Winthrop beats Washington, Penn State beats Oregon State, Loyola blows out Arizona State, Wake beats Oregon State, Nevada blows out Washington, Houston blows out Oregon, St. Mary's beats Oregon. Gonzaga blows out UCLA. Last one, not that big a not that big a deal. When you look at the stage that it was on, it's a tougher look because you had anticipated a great game. You you had thought that what we got from Gonzaga Duke is what we were going to get from Gonzaga UCLA, and it just never happened. And when they are supposed to be the uh, torchbearer for the conference, that is not the sign you want to see going up against the best of the best. So. Incredibly tough week for the conference. Good news is they will soon be playing themselves, so I guess it can't really get that much worse. But they've they've surprised us before.
0: I mean, at this point, like the Big Twelve, SEC, I guess Big East, kind of the the ones we haven't called out as a whole so far. Yeah, like it's a, it's it's been a rough start to the season now for. A lot of the Power Six. I mean, Washington already has three losses in by games, and you know yeah. that's that's not going to get the job done. Um, but alternatively, I mean, for for looking out west, the best conference right now is pretty clearly the West Coast, uh, which which brings not me not even close. So much pride and joy. Um, yeah, but that's uh, yeah, that's that's really. Something to focus on right now. San Francisco playing well, obviously. St. Mary's making it all the way to the Maui Championship. BYU, Gonzaga got got good things happening. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Pac-12 they take a little bit to get going. That's fine. we Got got other basketball teams we can focus our admiration and praise on too. Um, but yeah, uh, Pac-12 going through it a little bit right now. It happens uh, Illinois is uh, still on the struggle bus um, I I was perplexed in the preseason when certain people who shall remain nameless uh, but have no affiliation with this podcast were anointing Illinois as a bona fide top five team just on the basis of Kofi coming back and I I, I didn't know if we were just forgetting that Io left uh, or what, because I mean it's it's been ugly at times. Like Kofi is is productive; he's getting his, um, but it's it's just not a situation where you can lose a ball dominant guard who's as good late in shot clocks as Io, and you know everything's just gonna be okay. You know how hard it is to blow a fifteen-point lead and lose by twenty, as they did to Cincinnati. Like that—that that takes a lot. It takes a lot of people working together to not score points and just not run anything. Um, I mean, remotely resembling an offense. Um, so there have been several of these performances so far this year, and a lot of it was like, "All right, no Kofi because of the suspension that was admittedly BS. Let's wait till he's back." Figure it out. Um, we we're past that point, and you're still struggling. You know, taken to school by West Miller in Cincinnati, struggling mightily against UT Rio Grande Valley, or however you say it. Um, I, I I think we're I think we're hovering close to the panic button. This uh, this team has a lot of work to do if they want to get back to the point of really just being consistently ranked. In the top twenty, and kind of running out of time to do that uh, before big time play starts.
1: If I was someone that you had previously been mentioning, uh, hypothetically, of course, in in your uh, beginning part of your soliloquy here, there's
0: people on Twitter. Yeah,
1: I think uh, the argument there would be that yes, losing Io obviously is is hurts. He's he's a contributing player on an NBA team that is the best or hovering around the best in the East. Curbello seemed to help make everything work. And now it seems as if he's trying to take too much on, and that is really causing problems offensively. Trent Frazier going down is a huge loss and a huge issue because he is the guy that should be making the offense go. Like, yes, Kofi like you said, is going to get his. You can rely on giving him the ball and letting him go to work, but at the same time, you need someone on that perimeter to take the pressure off so defenses just can't collapse. And right now, they don't have that guy. Cabello should not be a jump shooter. He should be a slashing guard that gets to the rim and distributes for his teammates. We're not really seeing it. The young guys are struggling to produce as well, but like you, you have the number two player in the country by BPR, like you, you need to be using that and working your way through the rest of the offense and figure it out from there. Even worse, though, you just got to play defense, and I don't think Illinois has done that great a job. Ken Palm disagrees with me, but just watching the games, I don't think they've been a great defensive
0: team. I think their their lack of offensive productivity has bled into the defense at times I and mean, allowed teams to go on major runs. But yeah,
1: like turnovers hurt too. They've been yeah. coughing the ball up like crazy.
0: Yeah, but like your your main perimeter threat right now is Alfonso Plummer, and that's fine. He's a fine player. It was, it was someone you had to identify, go out and get from Utah, but Curbelo shooting 30% from the floor, Trent Frazier shooting 28% from the floor um, is, is just not going to get it done. Both those guys, of course, struggling from distance as well. Mm-hmm. If you're not able to extend the defense at all, and your best player is a guy who spends 90% of time in and around the paint, that's going to clog things up and cause major issues for your offense. So yep. I mean, Trent Frazier is a guy who has proven he can be a, a good shooter in the Big Ten before. Um, but it's it's just not not reliably a threat right now. It's it's been it's been all plumber, it's been uh grandison a little bit, uh, but the two two main guys that we thought would be the perimeter threats for Illinois this year just have not been that.
1: Seventeen point two turnovers the game. Not great. No. Not great at all.
0: I would even argue that's bad, but that's uh and that's like early ten year uh, Brad Underwood. Illinois mm-hmm. teams, um, just yeah. just nonstop turnovers and falls, and it's certainly not something you want to revert back to. Right, got a got a good thing going the last couple of years of you know playing basketball kind of the way you should at a a high level Big Ten institution, um, but mm-hmm. yeah, not uh, not really seeing much of that right now. No, uh, last one I had was a team that we had. Previously praised losing to a team that we had previously criticized, so credit to us on half of this, I guess. Um, yeah. But Saint Bonaventure dropping their first one after after such a great performance on their MTE, losing ninety to eighty to Northern Iowa, who is holding on for dear life after a couple of early losses in bye games, but. The good news for Northern Iowa, AJ Green dropped thirty-five, so this was kind of the game we were waiting for. But for St. Bonaventure, to me, this feels like it's kind of undoing the progress that you just did in the last week, and you know, winning your tougher non-conference games, and presumably helping your future seed uh, once March rolls around.
1: Yeah, you can't. I mean, they—they've been playing with fire. Uh, pretty much all season long, they, they've been in some deficits, some holes early on in the year and found ways to come back and, and win games. And that was, at least for us, attributed to like the continuity and the connection of this team that Mark Schmidt has and, and how well they have played together for so long. And now, um, not really being able to look back. And rely on that as much and realizing like you, you need to put teams away when you can. You cannot let a team like Northern Iowa hang around at one and three. Northern Iowa wins this game by 10. Um, and that should be very much a worry if you are St. Bonaventure. Like you almost got stung by Canisius, you almost got stung by Boise State, you almost got stung by Clemson. And it finally happened. So now that should be the wake up call to get them back on track. The good news they've got Buffalo. Uh, in about a week, excuse me, on Saturday. And then uh, they've got UConn. So they've got a little time before those two big games. And really, you beat UConn, I think it, it stems the tide and, and really fixes that loss against Northern Iowa. So there's opportunity, but they need to get right.
0: Yeah, those are a couple of big opportunities, particularly UConn and then uh game against Virginia Tech as well. Um, mm-hmm. even, like if you're if you're able to split those two, that will go a long way to to helping your tournament profile. Because again, like the A 10 it would be great if Aton is able to parlay this week into consistent good basketball. But the yeah. league outside of St. Bonaventure, clearly not on the level that that we're kind of used to. You've got some a couple solid teams, your Richmonds, your your Rhode Islands, your St. Louis's, but Nobody else right now really looks like they could be an at large team um come March that's gonna make it even more difficult for Saint Bonaventure to kind of move themselves up in the national profile over the course of conference play so this is this is one that you kind of assumed they would have as you're looking ahead to higher profile matchups and and right after you got through some uh, so not the time you want to slip up but there's there's certainly time in the non-conference still to make it right. Yeah, plenty
1: of time. There's no need to panic. Unlike the next team I'm gonna talk about, and it brings me great joy to talk about this one. I'm amazed you didn't have this one.
0: I you know, honestly, I know who you're gonna say now, but just they're so off my radar in terms of national relevance that <laughs> yeah. it just like it didn't even cross my mind. I don't have them written down.
1: Oh, Rutger, what a team! What a team! They give, uh, they give, um, I have it written down Lafayette their first win 53 51, absolute barn burner on Monday. And then Saturday, they lose at UMass after having a 17 point lead in that one on a buzzer beating three people who are aware this is not a good version of UMass, they are not a great team this year. Uh, this is now their third straight loss. They struggled mightily with Merrimack earlier in the season, 48-35 win there. They needed overtime to beat Lehigh to open the season, 73-70. They ended up pulling away, but they were down, at I believe, at halftime to NJIT. Yeah, 33-32. I don't know what's happening at Rutger, but they are in huge trouble. Their at-large hopes, I think, are basically gone. They would need, because their non-conference schedule is just so bad. So they'd need to really play well. In conference play, they need to beat Clemson. They need to beat Seton Hall. They need to somehow beat Purdue. But other than that, the rest of their non-conference games are Ryder, Central Connecticut State, and Maine. So really a gauntlet and tough, tough, tough times right now. But they're going to need to play extremely well in Big Ten play. I would imagine a top five finish is what they'd need at this rate because I don't see them really winning many of these other games.
0: I yeah, I I can't I can't foresee a top five finish. Um even with as bad as some of the presumed upper tier teams in the Big Ten have looked out of the gate. I mm-hmm. I find that very difficult uh to imagine, especially, you know, maybe maybe Iowa's decent. Um yeah. that, that is the theme as I keep looking at the score tonight. Um but Virginia is making it a little closer with about five minutes left. Um yeah, I mean that like Lost Miles Johnson. You lost Jacob Young, who is now the second leading scorer for, as we've said, a not great Oregon team. Um, I mean, Geo Baker has struggled with some injuries again, and I mean, you, you just consistent offense has eluded Rucker, and that it's, it's really as simple as that. Um, they're they're not a good offensive team. They're allowing, uh, you know, significantly less talented teams presumably to hang around and. They have uh, they've been losing close games. You know they they've got a loss to DePaul, who is undefeated. So tip of the cap to the Blue Demons for that. Uh, no no shame there. But you are now losers of three in a row. And like Rutger, Illinois on Friday is a big time. Something's got to win or something's got to give. Game. I, yeah. I expect Illinois to win because I, I just I don't see mm-hmm. anyone who can match up with Kofi um, enough to. Talk Rutger win that one on the road. But yeah, got Purdue right after that and and Clemson uh tonight as you're listening to this. So this is this could very easily extend to a seven game losing streak before you get to Ryder in central Connecticut States. Um so I mean I, I think there's a, a very good opportunity for this to get worse before it gets better, um, which I know is not. Very comforting for all the Rutgers fans out there.
1: All twelve of them. Hey. Uh, it they're shooting twenty four percent from three. Not that that solves their problems, but maybe stop shooting threes
0: <laughs> or or try making them. Uh...
1: <laughs> Either or, you've got one guy, Geo Baker. Well, Ron Harper is shooting thirty point three percent. Geo Baker is shooting thirty four point six. Everyone else is under thirty percent.
0: Yeah. I, I mean it's very, very similar thing to Illinois. Like if you can't yeah. even present that as a threat, then I mean the the court is going to become smaller and smaller for you in terms of uh space to operate on the offensive side. Um so Steve Peichel's got a lot to figure out there. Like Credits to him for, for raising the profile of Rutgers basketball significantly. Um yep, no so that, that being here is as big of a disappointment as it is. Um but this is uh this is a, a very rough stretch they're on right now. And again, I, I think it's got the potential to get a lot worse. I I think the most winnable game they've got is uh Clemson game Tonight It's against a team that gave St. Bonaventure everything they could handle. Um so I mean that that's just kind of a testament to, to the schedule coming up and how I really don't know that they'll get out alive. But Yeah.
1: Not a great place to be.
0: Yeah. You hate to see it. You do. That is uh that is it for this show. As I said, jam-packed, so much going on. We're we're breaking news on the podcast. Um and the coaching carousel is just getting started in college football. Like we're still within the season. The season is yes. still going on and there have been this many, uh, major bombs, uh, being dropped already. Um, but it's not even December. Yeah. It's, this, this is bananas. This is, this is crazy, unprecedented. We can't say it enough. Um, but it, it makes talking about it each week very, very entertaining. Uh, so we will continue to do that. Spread option is back this week. We had to take a week off for the Thanksgiving holiday and travel with that, Um, but we'll be back with that later this week, and then we will be back presumably to talk about more coaching changes and get mad about the final playoff field uh, next week on this show. So, Please join us then.